what's going on everybody and welcome into another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brennan Schaefer along with you here breaking down a Cardinals victory over the Chicago Cubs on Wednesday, July 21st as St. Louis almost did it again, but they didn't. And that is the important part as the Cardinals blow another ninth inning lead, takes this thing to the 10th extra innings. That means craziness has the potential to ensue because you've got runners on second to start each half inning. Cardinals survive the top of the 10th inning thanks to, I mean, this may just be the Edmundo Sosa podcast. I might just rant about him for the next 30 minutes because what he did in the top of the 10th inning was, to me, the single most important play of the baseball game. Obviously, there were things that happened earlier that you could say, well, if this had gone that way or if they had done this, they wouldn't have had to use the 10th inning. They wouldn't have gone to extras. They could have won it in regulation. But once they got there, oh boy, Edmundo Sosa with one of the just all-around best plays I've seen in a while because of everything that it took to put into that play, all the different moments within the moment and the roles that he filled on one play. I just can't stop thinking about it. And I asked virtually everybody that we talked to on Zoom about Edmundo Sosa or the play in particular after the game because I was just fascinated by everything he went through in the top of that 10th inning. So we'll get into that, obviously, with a little more detail but in the bottom of the 10th, who else but Yadier Molina? I asked Mike Schilt, you know, what goes through your mind when you see, after all these years, Yadier Molina step into the plate, game on the line, and the winning run is out there for him? And Schilt just completely deadpan said, game's over. Game's over. He just, that's what, and, you know, he had more to say thereafter, but that was the main takeaway is that for Mike Schilt, when he sees Yadi and, and knows that winning run is out there in scoring position, in his mind, game's over, time to go home. So Yadier Molina does it again, even when he's been struggling offensively, which he has been. There's no denying that for the last several weeks, and at this point you could probably qualify it as months. Yadi has been going through it. The offensive numbers have not been you know, what, what they were, obviously, at the beginning of the season, and they haven't even been what they've been for him over the course of the last couple of years. You know, the offensive Stats, the OPS has been lower for Yachty the last couple of years, but then he got off to that tremendous start and really basically has cratered since then on on just looking at his season in its totality. But when the game is on the line, I there just there's nobody else you'd rather have up there. Yadier Molina coming through in a game the Cardinals had to win. It's hard to call any game of a 162 game season a must win, especially when you're only in July not even to the trade deadline yet. But after what happened last night, the events of of that game causing us to do basically a full hour of B-Shape Daily yesterday, another therapy session for Cardinals fans as we go through a lot of the questions as we did last night. I would say go back and listen to it if you you missed it yesterday. It is about an hour long. But then I can't imagine any Cardinal fan that would want to put themselves through that. I guess it helps knowing that there's a happy ending, like the next day they, they went out and did exactly as we described that they would need to do on yesterday's podcast. They won the game. Adam Wainwright plays a big role in that 
He's deprived of the win. That's two days in a row now that a Cardinal starter was definitely deserving of getting the W. And I thought with the way the Cardinals managed to to mount their little rally there in the seventh inning that he was actually going to get the win that he deserved. Wainwright, 84 pitches is all he needed to get through seven innings tonight. Just brilliant work by the Cardinals starter. Two veterans going at it in this game, Wayno against Kyle Hendricks. Cardinals have had their issues against Kyle Hendricks over the years. I don't think that's a surprise or a secret to anybody listening to this show. It just seems like every time they face the guy, he puts his best foot forward and they can't seem to get anything done against him. But after Wainwright completes the top of the seventh, pretty ho-hum through seven innings, six hits allowed, just one run. It was earned five strikeouts, no walks, a really clean outing by Wainwright tonight, and incredibly efficient. I mentioned 84 pitches. He absolutely could have kept going. As far as his stamina and his ability on the mound, there's no question Wainwright could have probably, I mean, he could have gone into the eighth for sure. In a standard game, I would say he had the stuff and the capacity tonight to go the distance. But, of course, it seems like a lot of the times when he does have that kind of start, Cardinals have not been putting the runs up for him, at least this year. It seemed like last year, or maybe it was 2019. Yeah, in 19, they would constantly score runs for him. He had, like, the best run support in baseball. But this year, some of his best games have been those games where it's a pitcher's duel on both sides, and you're not sure he's going to end up rewarded for it. Tonight, Mike Schilt, well, I guess I should say Ali Marmol at that point in time. Technically, the bench coach had taken over the managerial duties as Mike Schilt was ejected from this game. We'll talk about that and kind of how that goes in concert with some of the fire and passion he showed in the postgame last night that we discussed at length yesterday on the show. He does get ejected uh, after a call on Dylan Carlson for a strike three that just was not a strike three. And asked afterwards, we, we kind of thought up in the press box that maybe Mike Schilt had gone back into the dugout, into the you know into the tunnel, wherever he went, and, and saw somehow the, the image or the video of the Carlson pitch and saw how far outside the ball was, and that's what's, what prompted him to go back out onto the field and take it up with the umpire who obviously ejected him. And there was an argument there and and some finger pointing and shouting on the part of the Cardinals manager, but he got his money's worth, but it was interesting just wondering, you know, how did he know? And he said he got some good Intel. That's all he would say after the game about that situation is that he got some good Intel. He didn't see the video, but he got Intel and said he gets Intel a, a lot of times but often doesn't put it to use, but felt in that case, you know, there are times as a manager, and and, and again, this is kind of a calculated thing. A lot of times fans will just think, you got to go get run, you got to go, you know, stand up for your guys and and try to rally the troops a little bit, and you got to pick your spots as a manager to do that. You can't do it every game. You know, umpires, we talk a lot throughout a season about an umpire having a bad night, and as a manager, you do have to kind of pick your spots. Mike Shield obviously felt that tonight was one of those spots where he had to stand up, and he said for Dylan Carlson, who's been, you know, had gone through a little bit of a, a, a tough stretch, but has begun to come out of that and has been taking some really good at-bats, and in that situation kind of got done dirty. And so Mike Schilt taking that opportunity to show his team he's behind him, and he ends up getting ejected from the game relatively early. That strikeout for Carlson happened to end the fifth inning, and so between innings five and six is when 
Mike Schultz made his departure, but in that seventh inning, kind of had a little sidetrack story about that because I wrongly named Mike Schultz as the guy to be aggressive, but from somewhere he's he's pulling the strings back there. Schultz also said when asked where he was, like where does he hang out for the last couple of hours when that game is unfolding and he's not allowed to be in the dugout, he said, oh, I took a nap. Mo came by, woke me up, told me we won, so that's good. Obviously not true. I'm sure he's pulling the strings from somewhere, however they do it. I don't really know the ins and outs of that, but I would imagine he's still in charge. Isn't that, is that not how we all feel about that? Is that what probably is going on there? Nevertheless, whomever made the decision to go pinch hitter, Matt Carpenter comes into the game in the seventh inning. Wainwright had already done his job. Yes, he could have gone a little further, but in that situation, Cardinals take advantage of a leadoff error, Paul DeYoung advancing to second on a bad throw, and so you're in position to score. Don't understand what the Tommy Edmund bunt try was. I don't like it. A lot of Cardinals fans don't like it. It seems like they are way more apt to utilize the bunt in these close low-scoring games to try to just get one and get into a tied situation. I, I'm i not a fan of it. Let Tommy Edmonds swing away is what I would say. He he bunts the first pitch back to the pitcher. It's an easy out. You don't They don't even have to work for it. You just don't like to give away outs like that, and it doesn't work. So it's just a, a bad situation all around. But fortunately, you end up getting to see what happens when you let a guy swing away. Harrison Bader rips a double into the gap, ties the game, and that's where they go with the pinch hitter Matt Carpenter trying to score that extra run, get the lead, and put Wainwright into a situation by extension where he does end up getting in line as the winning pitcher. Carpenter doesn't get the job done, but Dylan Carlson does a double over the head of the left fielder Hap to score Bader trades places there. Cardinals have their 2-1 lead, and so Wainwright in line for the win, which is exactly what you would be deserving of by going seven innings and giving up just one run. At that point, though, the question begins to be, and and it starts to come up to the minds of everybody watching, what are they going to do for the final two innings? Because we know last night, we know the way it went on Tuesday, where they end up having to use Cabrera. They burn Reyes. They burn Gallegos as well. you You were desperately trying to avoid that situation on Tuesday, where you had to go to your main guys, and that's what got them into that situation in the first place. Understand it. As we mentioned yesterday, a five-run game, you do eventually need to get outs from somewhere else. But by losing that game yesterday, it ratchets up the pressure cooker all the more to have to win this game on Wednesday. And so what do you do? You're, you're kind of putting good after bad where you say, well, it didn't go the way we wanted to yesterday. We still wasted our guys, and we lost. Now we're kind of forced into using some of those guys again. Four games out of the last five for Cabrera and Gallegos is what it ends up being as Cardinals had, they felt they had to because you're in a one-run game. Now there's no margin for error. Alex Reyes was completely unavailable, wasn't going to happen based on where Mike Schilt was today with with his bullpen usage and the the way Reyes has been leaned upon lately. But Henesis, Giovanni Gallegos, both of those guys saying they wanted the ball, they wanted a chance late in that game when the Cardinals needed some reliability out of the bullpen. They're both willing to go. Cabrera walks a guy but gets a couple of outs, and then it's Gallegos who finishes that eighth inning. And maybe a little bit of a surprise, they bring Gio back out for the ninth, trying him for the four-out save. 
it doesn't end up working out as he gives up the tying run in that inning game on the line. They get so close to being able to finish it off without the extra inning situation. You've got two outs, but he just he's been pitching a lot, and so he didn't have necessarily his best command. Hit Nico Horner with a pitch to allow him to reach base, and then it was Eric Sogard ripping the double. Just it finds a gap, and with the ball in the air in right center field, you thought maybe Carlson might get to it. It was there was a hope for a moment that he could, but it, it just I mean it was he plugged the gap that that happens sometimes. Gave up hard contact, and that ends up tying the game. And so then things got really interesting because John Gant comes into the game. He hits a guy with a pitch the first batter he faces, and then he hits Wilson Contreras with a pitch on the first pitch he throws to him. So consecutive hit batters, three in the inning. I it just With how bad it felt like things were going, I looked up at the scoreboard and I was like, wait, the bases weren't loaded? They didn't just hit by pitch in a run, and the Cardinals are now losing. Like, it just felt like the Cardinals should be losing at that point. After everything they've been through the last couple of days, I was just like, yep, that that feels about right. And then it's like, all right, hold on a second. It's not over yet. They're still tied here. Let's see what happens. They're able to get out of that inning miraculously. John Gant recording the final out. They had Tommy Edmond playing pretty deep in the hole at second base, shifting for the batter Anthony Rizzo. And Edmond actually kind of bobbles the sharp grounder at first, but recovers in time. Nice, calm, cool, and collected. Makes the throw to first base. No damage done. We're heading to the bottom of the ninth. And, and again, I, I think if, if they don't hold it right there, if the Cardinals are trailing, I don't think they they win. I think it would have just been too demoralizing to be able to come up with something under the gun in the bottom of the ninth. Obviously, as it played out, they didn't score any runs in the bottom of the ninth, but they did have a base hit. They had a walk, so they had a little something brewing. Uh, Goldschmidt with a sharp ground ball to uh, end the bottom of the ninth inning. Extend this thing to extras where anything can happen. You put a runner on second base and it gets crazy. So now I finally get the opportunity to gush about the job Edmundo Sosa did in this situation. Rizzo's the runner on second. Javi Baez hits a single, and with Rizzo running, he does not end up scoring on the single to center field, and so you've got first and third. Nobody out. Not a great situation. John Gant was actually the pitcher still. They left him in to face Baez in the 10th. First pitch single. He's out of the game. TJ McFarland comes in because at this point you are kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. You've used your top bullets that you have available to you. You know Alex Reyes is flat out not going to pitch today. And so it's TJ time. First and third, nobody out. Ian Happ, the batter, and that's when Edmundo Sosa goes to work. Ground ball to Sosa at shortstop. And he talked about this after the game. As the reliever is warming up, he knows the situation. He's going through scenarios in his mind, and he thinks, ground ball to my glove side, I'm going. my responsibility is going to be to step on the base, but because there's no outs, I, it's not just a double play. It's not 6-4-3 time. It's not 6 unassisted 3 time. You've got to account for that runner at third base. And he does it all. That's what's so incredible about 
this play by Sosa is exactly as he played it out in his mind. So first of all, he's doing the mental preparation that you have to do to be prepared for different situations. The situation plays out. His number gets called. The ball is hit to him. Glove side toward the second base bag. Fields it. Quickly checks Rizzo at third to make sure he's not straying too far off. And at this point, if Rizzo goes back to third, Sosa can then get the double play. Rizzo stays at third base. You're you're fine. You've got two outs and you're one pitch away from getting out of this inning. He steps on the bag at second, checks Rizzo again, and notices that And Rizzo wasn't exactly broken to home plate at this point. He wasn't in a full-speed run, but he was far enough off the base. And that might have been intentional, like Rizzo trying to see if he can't deke the fielder into paying a little bit too much attention to him, thereby wasting the chance to get the out at first. And then maybe you still have first and third, and the Cubs still feel like they're cooking. But at that point, Rizzo's just too far off the bag. He's got nowhere to go. So Sosa executes the rundown. He begins that process, makes the throw. And then a guy, and this is what's so impressive, all the different things he had to do during the play, right? He started with fielding the ball, check the runner, that's another thing. Step on the base, that's another thing. Look back to the runner. Like, his body mechanics are taking him toward first base. He's ready to make that throw toward first base to complete the double play. But he's got to check Rizzo again. And when he does that, still there's a part of you that might think, okay, it's just a cursory check on the runner and then throw to first because you expect that you kind of know where the runner's going to be. But when you realize that it's not that situation, Rizzo has has played, he's gambled, he's gone a little too far. Now it's, okay, we can get the lead man. And so he initiates the rundown. But he ends up involving himself in the play again at third base. So he steps on the bag, the second base bag, moving to his left toward first and then initiates this rundown, begins to bring the ball closer to Rizzo, makes the throw when it's necessary to do so. The rundown's happening between home and third, and then he ends up on the third base bag, making the throw to Paul Goldschmidt, who then makes the out. It's just a ridiculous play on so many levels. I feel like it's one of those where you see like the, the punt return touchdown or the kick return touchdown, and they give you the little diagram, and it's the line of, of the route the guy took to get there. I want to see the route that Edmundo Sosa took on this play because his line would be squiggling all over the field. Just a really great veteran type of play from a rookie player, from a guy who does not have a lot of big league experience in Edmundo Sosa, and he ends up making uh, maybe the best defensive play in a game that had several Incredible defensive play. Arenado had another great one. He had two, really. Bader, the fact that he robs a home run and does it by, I mean, just he squares his shoulders to the baseball and is behind it every time. It's really remarkable to watch Bader get his jumps and to set himself up. I don't think I've ever seen a guy make a two-handed rob of a home run, but that's exactly what Harrison Bader did tonight. Goes up with two hands on a ball that, would have been over the fence. At first, I wasn't sure. Caught the replay and said, yep, that would have been a bomb. Bader confirmed from his perspective that it would have snuck over the wall. It's an interesting question to ask of the outfielder. Like, did you rob a home run? Would it have been gone? Because on the one hand, you want to say, yeah, I mean, I did that. It was a homer and I took it away. On the other hand, 
you don't want to show your pitcher up by saying, oh, yeah, that I mean, that was way gone. Like, I can't believe he Bader is a is a pro in the way he answered that question, because he didn't show up the pitcher. But he said, yeah, it was gone. Guy put a good swing on it. But, you know, glad we were able to come up with it, basically. So in a night that had several really plus plus defensive plays by Cardinals, to me, Edmundo Sosa's was the best of them because for as good as Bader is, and even the ball to end the game was, I believe, uh, hit to center field. Bader tracking it back is able to get behind it and make a, a very much a fundamental quintessential Harrison Bader catch. Obviously not to end the game, but to end the top of the ninth, to end any threat that the Cubs had in this one. It was uh, an, another nice play by Bader. I just can't get over, though, Edmundo Sosa. because I mean, if you're TJ McFarlane, you're like, hell yeah, man. Because you're in a situation where the the odds are stacked against you, and you have to at that point. You have to rely on your fielders. You're not you're, you're, if you're TJ McFarland, you're not getting it all done on your own. Maybe Ryan Helsley can do something like that, where he comes into a Houdini situation. Same same situation the other day, actually for Helsley. I believe it was first and third, nobody out, and he gets two strikeouts and a flyout. That ends up being all you need. T.J. McFarland is not a guy you're expecting to do that. So induce the ground ball, allow your defense, which is top-notch in Major League Baseball at pretty much every position on the diamond, allow your defense to do what they do. And then Mundo Sosa starts it off. And so credit to, you know, that's a double switch that brings him into the game not too long before that that play ends up unfolding. Paul DeYoung is a very quality defensive shortstop I don't think Paul DeYoung makes that play because there's just too much that went into it Edmundo Sosa I've noticed this about him when he's playing shortstop second base doesn't matter he's not afraid to move around and and that could mean after a throw where he's bringing himself as a second baseman he's in the hole and then he's got to come charge into a ball and then throw to first base the guy will end up in foul territory because he just runs it out like he just He's limber and loose on the field. I love watching him play. I love watching him just be in that zone defensively where he's he's not afraid to go anywhere. There's no amount of energy that he could expend and he then wouldn't have enough. You know, that's that's just not a concern for Sosa. So when you see him get to the third base bag and continue that rundown and be a, a critical part of not only the beginning, middle, but also the end of that play, it's just not a surprise. If you've been paying attention and noticing what this guy does defensively, it was just I just I that's what that's why I love baseball. I was going to say that's why we love baseball. I I can't speak for everybody. I don't know if those the, the minutia of a, a defensive play like that is what tickles your fancy. It does for me though. I just love to see it and to know that it's good, clean, quality, hard-nosed baseball. You're in the right place at the right time. You're doing your job. You're giving full effort. Like, that's cool to me. And I love that Amundo Sosa, fresh into the game, had not didn't get the start, didn't play the majority of this game, but ends up, in my opinion, making perhaps the most critical play in that game, in a game the Cardinals had to win. It's poetic, man. You love to see it. And so... Whereas the Cardinals could have been, I mean, we could be talking right now about the five-game winning streak the Cardinals are on. We also could have been talking about two devastating losses in a row. Cardinals able to save this one, have an opportunity on Thursday to go for the series win, 
against the Chicago Cubs in a four-game series. They know they're not going to lose the series at this point because they've already taken two of three, but it is a four-gamer. You're going to have to be on your game tomorrow night. Kwon Young Kim with a chance against Albert Alzale. I think this is a chance for the Cardinals to really cement themselves in the direction that they believe they're heading and that the standings are going to start to dictate if they can just keep putting it together. Because really, right now, the Cardinals could very, very easily be 49 and 47, a couple of games above 500, with a chance to go for a four-game sweep tomorrow. We know what happened on Tuesday. You can't change it. You can't go back. It is what it is. But the Cardinals did everything they, they could have done and everything they needed to do tonight to ensure one way or another that they weren't going to allow one bad game, one bad outcome, one bad result to turn into two, to turn into a skid. Adam Wainwright's always the guy you want on the mound in those situations to try to stop something, and in this case, to stop it before it started, because it was just one game. And at the end of the day, Wainwright gave you what you needed. The offense, yeah, it's Kyle Hendricks, right? Like, I wasn't expecting a major output from the Cardinals offensively tonight. You're going to have to win the tough ones, and they won a tough one today. I think if you're a Cardinals fan, there's a lot to be excited about from this game. Last night was brutal. Like, people were were off their rockers about how upset they were about that game. Rightfully so. I don't remember a worse loss this season for the Cardinals. It was bad. It was the worst of the year. It was the title of the podcast yesterday, Worst Loss of the Cardinals Season. But the fact that they were able to come back, they were able to face adversity within this game as well. I mean, they blow a save. But then they, they find a way, they Yadier Molina their way through in the bottom of the 10th inning. Just a, a absolute classic win for the Cardinals. Standings aren't what you want them to be, but they're, they're starting to turn a little bit. Like, I don't know how you could watch what the Cardinals have done since the All-Star break and not say this looks a little different. There's something to be a little excited about. And Mike Schilt continues to talk about it. He brought it up again tonight, June 24th. That was the day that they kind of felt their turning point internally, even though they then went on to not win in that series against the Pirates. Like they didn't, they didn't get the job done that weekend, but nevertheless, they felt like that's when it began to turn because they had that internal meeting. They talked about the fact that they had allowed some of their fundamentals, the, the, the elements of Cardinals baseball that we have come to appreciate in St. Louis had gone by the wayside a little bit for this team whether that's taking the at-bats you need to, pitching, all of it. And they had the team meeting, and that's where they felt the turning point was going to emanate from there, even if the results didn't show it immediately. You might be hearing this now from me and be say, that's hogwash. I don't want to hear it. This is still a 500 ball club. They are what they are. Totally understand if that's your viewpoint. I can see some elements of where Mike Schilt, where the Cardinals are coming from in having a little bit of belief in themselves right now. And if you're a fan of a team, you might as well enjoy the ride. They're playing more enjoyable baseball right now. There are signs of good things happening. The starting rotation over the last week has been really good since the, since the All-Star break. That first turn, Wainwright had a couple of bad pitches, and that ends up being the reason they, they lose the, the first game out of the break bullpen ends up giving up some more runs after the fact and it looks like a blowout in the scorebook understand that but otherwise the next four starts were quality and then Wainwright probably the best of the bunch tonight was seven innings of one run ball now you turn over back to KK and you can just see if they could start to get a little bit of churn a little bit of trustworthiness in the rotation like is Woodford gonna do it again maybe not is Oviedo gonna maybe not you know is LeBlanc even going to do it again potentially not so I get it but 
Do you not have a little bit of confidence going into tomorrow with Kwon Young Kim on the mound after the way he's been pitching of late? His ERA for the season now is 2.87. So I'll be the optimist guy. I'll be the guy. And I again, as a fan, I was never that way. So I understand it. But when I was a Cardinals fan, right, before I started as a writer, I started getting into the media side of this, and it totally changed my perspective, which is something I've talked about before. And if you'd like for me to talk about it again on the podcast, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Delve into that next time. Send me a message and say, hey, I want to hear more about that. But really what it is, looking at things the way I do now, you you can see some of what the Cardinals are beginning to build. The record isn't what it should be. There's a lot that needs to be done if the Cardinals are going to get where they think they can still go. But as Wainwright said tonight, the clubhouse is rocking right now. It's right where we needed to be. This is where we needed to be. And the Cardinals, you, I mean, take yesterday away and think about how close it was to being not a thing. Like, yesterday easily could have been a 6-1 to Cardinals win. Yachty doesn't drop that third strike. DeYoung doesn't make the throwing error. Somehow, Luis Garcia with two outs and a five-run lead and nobody on base. I don't think it would have been that remarkable to see him get out of that non-jam at that point in time you win now you've got five in a row like I know maybe today's game doesn't play out the same way they're not motivated the same way who could say but like it's so close to being that right now that I could look at this Cardinals team and say yeah I see the ingredients I see a little bit now of what they're saying has been going on since June 24th to where I'm like I'm not I'm not sold on it yet but I can see the ingredients beginning to come together And if they can just get a few more turns through the rotation of this, continuing to just win more than you lose, go three out of five, the next two turns through the rotation, and then you're into August, so that'd be like six of their next ten. And I don't know what the schedule is. I haven't looked. But if they're able to just continue to stay a little bit above 500, grit through this stretch where they've got still some questions in the rotation and some younger guys that they're relying upon that they could really use maybe two more good starts out of. And then you start to be able to say, oh, hey, Miles Michaelis is here in his rehab. Jack Flaherty is there in his rehab. They might be coming along to join you. I could see things turning in a positive direction for the Cardinals. We're, we're, we're seeing them do just enough. We're seeing what we saw from them early in the year, honestly, right now. Where is the offense great every night? No, it's not. But we're still in the games where like it's a winnable game. They're finding a way to come up with the clutch situational hits. That's been the hallmark of this team, and they lost that for a long, long time. But it's because they weren't playing all that many close games. Their pitching simply was not doing enough to keep them in games to where you can almost activate that clutch situational hitting mode for the Cardinals offense. Earlier in the year when they were winning games at a pretty good clip and they were the first place team through like six weeks of the season, they weren't doing great offensively every day. They had their their moments, but they were winning close games. They were coming up with the big hit, the, the, the clutch situational hit when they needed to. We're starting to see that kind of Cardinal team return, and if it does, and if the pitching stays where it is, I could see good things ahead. Long way to go, but at this point in July, if you're a fan of the team, and like I said, I wasn't this way back in the day, but if you're a fan of the team, I think you'd have more fun to see a little bit of the bright side at this point in time, and you know that, that might make you feel like I'm blowing sunshine up your ass and I'm not trying to be that guy, but I I definitely can see where things things could go in a positive direction for the Cardinals. Now, in four days, I might be completely on the other side of it and say, yep, here's the all-star break. They did this. Here's the trade deadline coming up, and Woodford was bad as next outing. Oviedo 
went kind of reverted back to the, some of the struggles that he had had. You get Wade LeBlanc turning into the guy that he was with the Orioles, and suddenly it's not so magical anymore. You lose three of your next four, and you go, what the heck happened? They're back below 500. Could totally happen, but I, that's why I think this turn through the rotation so critical because they did it once. Really impressive to have done it once out of the out of the All-Star break. Can they do it one more time? Wainwright started it off really well tonight. We'll see what KK has in store. And then you go to the Reds, who will not have Nick Castellanos. He's injured. So, you know, you never want to celebrate an injury. But from a Cardinals perspective, that's one guy who's killed them that they will not have to deal with in that series. So I'm definitely on the edge of my seat for the next few days. And that kind of coincides with the upcoming trade deadline. Again, not sure how active the Cardinals will be, but these next few days can definitely color, I think, the way the team can feel about itself and maybe the way the fans will feel about the team in turn heading into the final couple of months of the season. That's going to wrap it up here, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys immensely, as always, for sticking with me, sticking with the show. If you have not subscribed, I would love to get you on board on a more permanent basis. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts are three great ways to catch up with each and every episode of B-Shape Daily. Would love to have you do it. Follow me on Twitter if you don't already at B-Shaper12. That's also something great you could do. And uh, we'll keep rolling along here, see what the Cardinals have in store for the remainder of the month of July. Appreciate you guys once again. That's going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.